All right. Hey, happy 2021. Good to see everybody here today. Awesome. So uh, how many of you stay up till midnight on New Year's Eve? Anybody do that? <laughs> Bethany and I are wild party animals, so we were watching Netflix or something, and we're just crazy on New Year's Eve, you know? No, not at all. We actually usually sleep through it. But uh, this year, I, we actually made it to midnight miraculously, and I leaned over, and I was like, you know, gave Bethany a kiss. You have to do that. She has to kiss me. It's New Year's Eve, right? So I, so I gave her a kiss, and then we... And then I said, you know, we did it, right? We got through. Anybody else have that same kind of reaction? Like, we made it. We succeeded. Almost like we should all get a badge. I survived 2020. You know what I mean? I made it through. uh, And uh, I'm not really, like, superstitious. um, But I am a little stitious. And uh, (laughs) that that worked both both services. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Bethany, actually, I have to give her credit. She said that joke earlier. I know it's from a movie. Oh, no, The Office. Okay. Um, but uh, I, I was kind of like, okay, let's see if 2021 is a little bit better. But, you know, we, 2020 was not a bad year. We, there was a lot of hard stuff. I know there was a lot of hard things. We, we've talked about this. We're going to let it go now. But as a pastor, with the new year starting and obviously the Ducks being in a bowl game in 2021, so our beloved Ducks played yesterday in the Fiesta Bowl, and I had to prepare for both scenarios, right? How we would kind of approach this year. And I use it as sort of like a watermark, kind of determine how's this year going to go. And, uh, and so I was really hoping for, you know, Ducks 52, Iowa State 20, you know, dominant victory. Those of us that watch the game know that's not exactly what happened. So I prepared two different uh, uh, slides for us today. This is what I was hoping to have, you know, Happy New Year, Ducks victory, best year ever, Right. Unfortunately, this is, we had to go to backup plan. Um, <laughs> hopefully the people online can get a picture of that too. So that's our happy, happy new year. We're doomed. Anybody? No, no, no. Let's put the other one back up. Let's put the other one back up. Hey, there we go. Happy new year. Well, I'm excited to be with you guys today. And uh, man, what a great time in worship, just drinking in the presence of God, just spending time in the presence of God. How many of you feel like, you know, I have too much God in my life. I'm just over Jesus. I, you know, I just need to worship less, pray less this year. Is that anybody's resolution? Like you need to do less? No, right? How many of you would go, you know what? I want more of him in my life. I want to, you know, enjoy God's presence more. Let him refresh my soul, worship him, give him glory. And uh, the best way to do that uh, is to make room in our lives for, for him to work. And so I want to share a message with you today called Make Space. And I want to talk about margins. I didn't say margarine. No, I can believe it's not butter. No, I'm talking about margins, making space in our life. And I think it's a perfect time to talk about this. You know, in January, uh, when the gyms are allowed to be open, which they're not, that's why I'm not exercising, because they're not open. Otherwise, I would be like, just you know, really fit. But when that happens, eventually I'll be, you know, you'll see me just like Schwarzenegger it out. But right now I'm just going to just keep watching football on TV, you know, and, you know, I didn't eat that much Red Robin takeout yesterday watching the game. You know, I'm, I'm doing okay. But as you know, in January, January is the month you make resolutions, right? How many of you have made some resolutions this year, right? This is it, right? 2021 is the year I lose that weight, right? I go from a muffin top down to a mini muffin top. You know what I mean? <laughs> Suck it in, right? I think this year some, somebody should start spanks for men, right? You know what I mean? Like, because we need them, guys. I'm telling you, 2020 was not kind, right? You have a resolution. I want to lose weight. I want to get better with my finances. I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a better mom. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better worker. I want to, but whatever, right? And we have these resolutions. And then February comes and we go to the word doomed slide. No, I'm just kidding. But January is a time when we after eating our body weight and fudge, we sort of rethink our lives, right? And we begin to think, okay, what can I do to be better and all of that? But there's myths that we've bought into as a culture and myths that we believe. And one of them is called the myth of balance, where if I can balance everything but, you know, in my life, then it'll be okay. I, I can keep adding more. And then we also believe in this myth about being better. And I'll talk about both of these in just a minute, where if I improve myself, and January, I think for a lot of people, it, it opens up these sort of pathways in our thinking and how we act and where we sort of want to get ourselves back on track or, or improving ourselves. But actually, 
adding more to our plate is not the answer. Making space and creating margin in our life is actually the answer. And we're going to talk about this today. That margins, though they're probably the least exciting, one of the least exciting parts of life, are one of the most important. Margins are the sidelines around the field. Margins are the white space around the words. It's what actually gives you clarity, the ability to read something. Margins are the shoulders on the side of the road, which if you've ever driven in on the Beltline, you know people need those because people are always cutting each other off, and right? You need those margins. Margins are the, the silence between the notes in the music. If we had no space between notes, you know what it would sound like when we were here worshiping with music? It would just be a cacophony. It would just be noise. The difference between noise and music is whether it's country or not, right? Uh, no. <laughs> All right, sorry. Be here all week, folks. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, the, the, what, what, the difference between noise and music is actually the space between the notes. It's the margin, the, the white space. And uh, Jesus demonstrated to us a life of margin. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to ask you, we can kind of determine, we'll do a little test, a little participation here. If you're kind of a margin person or if you're sort of like me and you're you're not a margin person. So I think the best way to tell, this is totally scientific, by the way. This is science, so you can believe what I say, because I'm attaching the word science to what I'm talking about, okay? So you all think different things about what I mean by that, I know, but <laughs> it's just throw a, pack, throw a stone into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one that got hit, right? You just pick what you want to pick out of that statement. But here's how you tell, scientifically, whether you're a margin person. Okay, if you believe in like sovereign borders between your food on your plate at Thanksgiving, right? So you have like, this is the nation of mashed potatoes and gravy. And this is the sovereign nation of Turkey, right? This is the, the sovereign, and, we, and we're going to build a wall in between. It's going to be a beautiful wall, you know, in between the food, right? So we have, this is our nation of mashed potatoes and gravy, na- nation of stuffing, or what do we call it? Uh, Dressing, if you're Southern, right? If, or if you're from Springfield. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm from Southern Oregon, so if you want to get, talk about being a hick, I'm a hick, right? <laughs> Flannel is like my national flag, right? I'm, so, <laughs> so, okay, you have, you know, mashed potatoes, and we got dressing, stuffing, whatever. If you're a Yankee, it's stuffing. If you're from Thurston, it's dressing with no G on the end. Roots, cricks, and dressing, you know, and that's that, and then you have cranberry, and it's all divided. Raise your hand if you're like, yes, that's me. I want my food. Play nice. Come on, be honest. Be honest. Okay, that's great. No problem. You guys are good at margin. Now, the other people, those of us who are like, put it all together. Raise your hand if that's you, okay? All right. We outweigh these people here. So, yeah, gross. You're like, come on, gravy and peanut butter. Just put it together. Mashed potatoes and fried rice. Come on, bring it together, bro. <laughs> You're like, no, wait a second. No, I didn't. I'm not about that. that, that that's kind of how you can tell uh, the difference, right? If, if you're that kind of person, maybe you're a little better at margins. That's how your plate looks. Now, I have to be honest, I'm really not good at margins. I like to max everything to the full extent, right? So this really became clear to me one time uh, where Bethany and I, we were laying in bed one night, and this is about 10 or 12 years ago, and we've had uh, the privilege of working together in ministry and in church, uh, working at the same place. So we worked together at Joy Medford. Even before we got married, we were working together there on staff at the church, and uh, we've worked together our, our whole marriage. But we were leading a Bible college and an internship discipling young people, about 10 to 20 young adults per year in kind of this internship thing in uh, Medford. And so it's kind of a stressful job, you know, working with young adults, they have drama, all that. And we were young adults at the time too, so we had our own issues and drama going on. And uh, anyways, one night, something stressful was coming up, and so I was like talking to Bethany, and I don't know if I was criticizing you or like questioning or whatever. I never do that, but this one night was happening. And, uh, and it was like 1130 at night, and Bethany's like, seriously? Like, where are the margins? What's going on? Like, this is not the appropriate time laying in bed at 11.30 at night to talk about work. And she's like, nobody else has their boss, because I was the boss of this thing, you know, laying in bed with them going, hey, we need to talk about your work performance. (laughs) How many of you know that's like a nightmare, right? I can imagine the church staff, like, uh, uh, I'm like, hey, Kyle, Kyle, let's talk about your work performance. (laughs) 
Wrong for many levels, okay. So anyways, anyways, uh, she like kind of helped me to see, wow, I'm not really managing margins very well. I'm not, I'm not dividing the food on my plate. And this shows up in life. Now, I talked about Jesus. There's, there was nobody who was pressed and as busy as Jesus. Jesus, his success and who he was and the fact that he was healing people. Okay, if you hear, man, this person's walking around, they're making bread, right, out of thin air. That's pretty cool. And healing people. So if you're sick, you know, go to this guy. And this is what people are going to Jesus. It says in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, but despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. And listen what Jesus did. It says in verse 16, he got his copy of the seven habits of highly affected people. And he sat down and he said, I have a resolution. And in January, I'm going to become more effective as Jesus, the leader of this new movement. I'm going to write down my seven steps of victory. And every day I'm going to get better and I'm going to balance it. And I'm going to delegate to my disciples and we're going to grow this thing. That's not what it says. You're like, wow, I never read that verse. (laughs) No, what it says is Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. In other words, Jesus, as he got more busy, as the demands increased on him, he decreased his activity and increased his connectivity. He decreased his activity of going and, you know, he could go, well, I'm, I'm having big crowds, so now we need to organize better. We need to now get, okay, Peter, you're in charge of, of, uh, of this you know, side of the organization, and, and Jude, you need to be doing this, and Judas, like, we're not going to give you anything mission critical because I know what you're going to do, but we're going you know, to upgrade this organization, and I'm going to become better. And No, he, he, he drew back. He withdrew for what? For prayer. He created margin. This is the response of Jesus. You guys, success brings demands. When I was in Bible college and I was broke, you know, and I, I didn't really have much going for me, nobody was banging down the door for counseling or appointments. I had all the time in the world. I played a lot of Age of Empires, okay? Anybody old enough and cool enough to remember Age of Empires, you know? I, I like, would play a lot of Halo with my friends, you know what I mean? Stay up late. There wasn't a lot of demand on my time, okay? As I got married and had kids and started the church and started to actually, you know, do some good things for the world, you know, success brings demands. And this is what happens in life, isn't it? But what Jesus did is he had the wisdom to withdraw and make space. He often withdrew for prayer. He didn't upgrade his activity. He upgraded his connectivity to God. And oftentimes when we feel overwhelmed, it's not because you're broken or you're bad or you're doing something wrong or whatever. And it's also not... just because of external circumstances. Now, I would say 2020 for many people, most people was fairly overwhelming. It was like, man, everything's changing. We've got this pandemic. There's this heated political climate. All this kind of stuff's going on. Uh, I have to be at home with my kids all the time. You know, everything's on Zoom, uh, right? There was a lot of external circumstances, but I would even go so far as to say external circumstances are not the root cause of overwhelm. The root cause of overwhelm Overwhelm is an overloaded plate where you're believing these these myths about balance and better, which I'll talk about in just a second. But the key is creating margin, creating space. And that's what I want to talk about today. You know, we live in this culture that really ignores margins in pursuit of the max, right? How much, how big of a house can I get? And how much car can I afford? And all this stuff. I remember when Bethany and I were going to buy our first house together, we went and talked to a loan officer, this mortgage guy, and he was like, okay, let's look at your numbers and see how much house you can afford. Which basically what he was saying is, let's look at your money and stretch it to the maximum, you know, that it'll stretch uh, to, to get as big and as much as you possibly can. That's how we think as a culture. And we believe this lie, really, this, it, it's a lie, that we can have it all. I can continue to load things on my plate. I can continue to put more into my schedule. I can continue to do all of this and I can have it all. I can have the life of my dreams if I will just simply get better and and, uh, better at balance and all this kind of stuff. I can put it all there and we're missing the fact that we're not God. We're not unlimited beings. We don't have unlimited energy. We don't have unlimited focus. Come on. 
have the humility to realize that there are things bigger and outside of your control and that you need to create some space so your soul can breathe. This is what, what margin is all about. Now, here are the traps that I've been talking about that we believe in. And I think when you hear me talk about these, you're going to relate to it. Two traps that we fall into, the trap of balance and the trap of getting better. Now, the trap of balance says this. I can have it all. I can have a perfect marriage. I can have my, ki- you know, my kids, my family. I can have perfect health. I can be you know, totally ho- healthy in my mind, body, soul, and spirit. I can have the perfect marriage, perfect family. I can be a perfect Christian. I can do perfect at my work, and I can balance all of these things. As long as I get better at spinning these plates, right? I, if, I get, can t- if I can just balance it all, then everything will be okay. Now, how many of you have watched a TV show or seen something about balance, right? Maybe read a book. That, well, as long as, if you can learn to balance your life, everything's okay. Anybody seen this, right? You watch Dr. Phil and he said, you got to get your life in balance, you know? And you're like, yes, that's what I need to do, Phil. That's the answer. I need to get my life in balance, okay? Balance is a big lie. It's a big lie. You in no way have the strength, the capacity, the skill to balance everything that you're told you should be able to balance as a human being in the modern world. The reason why is because it exceeds the capacity of how you were designed and even made. You're not supposed to have everything loaded on and balance it all. You're not a professional balancer. Now, Bethany and I follow this guy on Instagram, or she showed me this guy. He is a professional acrobat. He went to Eastern Europe. He grew the world's coolest mustache. And he studied at a circus school, a professional school in Eastern Europe. How cool is this? This is a true story. Okay, not like the other stories I tell you as a preacher. This is a true story. <laughs> he grew the world's coolest mustache, and this guy can balance everything. We were watching him the other day, like, flip these pieces of wood or something and catch them all. He takes, like, knives, and he'll, like, throw them up and put, catch them in, like, an apple. It's awesome. He can spin plates and all this kind of stuff. You're all, like, perplexed. No, it's real. I don't, we don't know what the guy, what's his name? We'll have to, Jacob Acrobat. Yeah. It's actually secretly me. (laughs) I pull off my beard. See, I have the world's coolest mustache now. Um, Jacob Acrobat, if you look him up on Instagram, as you can tell, I'm not him. (laughs) I can't even preach without falling over. But he's incredible at balancing. He does all of these amazing things. He's a professional balancer, and he can do all this crazy stuff. What we think is that, man, I can load my plate, right? I want you to imagine every sphere of your life as a plate of food, okay? So you have your finances, you have your personal health, you have your mental health, you have your spiritual health, you have your marriage, you have your family, you have your job, you have, right, go on and on and on, your duck, you know, organ football, emotional connection. That's another plate that is really loaded, you know? If you're a Husky fan, you got a lot of baggage, right? I mean, there's a lot of issues. Beavers, you have that little brother complex, inferiority complex, you know? So we all have issues, right? Um, and so you have all your plates, right? These are the spheres of life. And what we do is we get them, we get them going like, oh, here's my marriage, right? And then we're like, okay, now we have kids, two plates. And then you go to church and they're like, hey, you need to have a relationship with Jesus. Cool, cool, I got it, right? And then your, your boss is like, well, you need to upgrade your performance if you want that raise. No problem, boss, Right? And then somebody's like, hey, did you know that like, uh, you need to stop eating carbs? What? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then you hear a message about margins, and you're like, I need to get more margins. Now I have my margin plate on your back shoulder. <laughs> right? And you're trying to do all of this. How many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? <laughs> oh, you just need to balance. You just need more balance. No, you don't need, you can't, ba- you have too many plates. Yeah. And each plate is so loaded, and there's no margin that there's, it's impossible But wait, guys, wait, wait, because balance is a myth, but wait, there's another myth and there's another thing that will help you get even worse at life that we believe is a culture, and it's the myth of getting better. Because then this is what happens. People say, well, your life's out of balance. You're not really balancing things correctly, so what you need to do is get better. If you just get better at balance, then you can take even more on your plate, (laughs) You can get two plates on your shoulder blades, you know, you can get on your feet, on your knees, on your nose. You could be like Jacob the acrobat. And as long as you get better, if you just improve your productivity, if you learn how to focus, if you learn how to do this, you learn how to do that, and you learn the seven steps to having better devotions and 14 pathways of spiritual healing through the daily devotional path by Beth Moore. I mean, like, it just gets, it's so much. 
So I have to keep it all in balance, and now I, I can't keep it all in balance. And so I get into this trap of now I just have to keep, keep continually getting better. And what eventually happens when you're balancing way too much, and there's a level where you can't improve yourself to be able to handle it all, what happens when you're spinning all these plates, and all of a sudden you start to get a little wobbly? What happens? It all comes crashing down. And this has happened to many of us. And sometimes when it all comes crashing down, we go into self-destructive behaviors and addictions and whatever. Sometimes we blow up at our family. Sometimes we blow up at ourselves. Sometimes we implode internally and we die a little bit on the inside and we go and scream into our pillow silently as if I've ever done this before. I'm speaking so specifically. (laughs) Sometimes when it all comes crashing down, we feel like I could never get it all going again and I don't even want to balance and better these traps, what does it lead to? It leads to burnout, where you're empty, you're depressed, you're discouraged, (laughs) you're doomed, you know, like we showed. And it's because you've bought into these lies, bought into these traps, and you've said, I can live a life where I have it all, but I don't really protect my soul, and I don't have margin. And when you live that type of a life, that's the end result. And we've all experienced it. We laugh, but only to keep from crying, (laughs) Huh? Because we experience this oftentimes on a daily or weekly or monthly basis or yearly cycle, like we, we get into these pathways. But margins, I'm going to talk about three today. There's more than this, but three today that I think help a lot. Margins protect our most valuable asset, which is our soul. Jesus says in Matthew 16, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? It's a rhetorical question. The implied answer is no. Nothing's worth more than your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's the seat, the the locus of of life and sort of how we relate to other people, right? We, We have a soul, we have a spirit, we have a body. You need to have health in all these areas. But many people are living with a very desperate, a very sick soul because they're trying to balance and better, right? They're trying to gain the whole world. Many times when we read this verse, you might be thinking of like Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or or Elon Musk, some billionaire. They've gained the whole world, but actually very few people will ever become a billionaire. Um, I don't want to like shatter your dreams, but you're probably not going to be a billionaire. So you're like, no, I will be. I'm going to get better and balanced and okay, we'll go for it, ace. But anyways, very few of us will be billionaires. So gaining the whole world isn't just applying to Bill Gates. Gaining the whole world is anything that you think, this is what I'll achieve and I'll be okay then. Now I feel good. Now I'm in balance. Now I've got it. Now I'm good enough. Now I'm fulfilled. Gaining the whole world is where we have something that we've now achieved that we now feel okay about ourselves. We're fulfilled, right? Gaining the whole world can be about money, but it can be about so many things. Right now, you might be pressing your soul to the max so that you can gain the whole world of a perfect family life. Gain the whole world of being perfect at your job. Gaining the whole world of being you know, uh, good enough to be accepted by God, whatever that may mean. And it's the antithesis of grace and receiving what Jesus did for you as a free gift at the cross. And it's the antithesis of the, the gift of even your life that God gave you just to enjoy as a human being. And it's falling into these traps. And you, you might gain the whole world. You might get the perfect job, the perfect spouse, the perfect relationship, the perfect family, the perfect house, the perfect Instagram life, whatever, And you've gained the whole world, but you lose the thing that is the capacity to enjoy, the capacity to relate to God and to others. And you end up just having no margin and falling into this trap. Margin, having space in our life and on every plate, every sphere of life, and even having less plates overall, allows your soul to breathe and allows God to work in your soul. And we're going to talk about this because I want to be careful because I don't want to give you guys a self-help. I'm not giving you a self-help guru, feel better about yourself, live your best life now type of message. I'm not even about that. The answer to everything truly is to give your life, you know, all of it to, to Christ and to live for his kingdom. We're going to talk about that. But oftentimes we're so overloaded in our life that we can't even fulfill what God has called us to do as disciples and disciple makers until we deal with some of the overload that's going on. And so this message is not just for us to all feel good about ourselves at the beginning of the new year and be like, yes, we're going to all have margin. It's actually very strategic because when we can open up some space in our life, it creates room for God to do what he wants to do through our life, okay? So let me give you today three margins that we can 
uh, three margins we need to create in our life. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but it's a good list uh, to get started with. Number one is the margin of focus. Focus. Now, for some people, focus is a dirty word, right? Others of us really like the word focus. But focus is something interesting. You know, focus is not so much about what you're focusing on. That is what it is. But actually, it's really about eliminating options. Eliminating options. In other words, cutting off all the other stuff. Like John Maxwell said, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. One book I would encourage all of you to read is a book called The 80-20 Principle. Uh, and it talks about the fact that 20% of what we do in life creates about 80% of the results, and that's played out across economics and science and even uh, agriculture and everything. It's a universal principle. It's an interesting thing. And uh, focus recognizes that if I would focus on the things that move the needle the most, focus on the things that actually create the disproportionate level of result, be better off. But it really is about eliminating options. The word decide, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but the word decide, if you go into the etymology, the root of the word, right to the very beginning of it, it means to sever, to cut. So to make a decision is to sever, to cut off all other things, to, the, to exclude everything else and stick with the path. Do, do you know why so many people have a hard time making decisions? It's because we as a culture have bought into balance and better. We can have it all and we never get rid of stuff. We just add. So instead of getting rid of something, we always are like, well, no, I just need to add a better balance mindset and a better way of doing things so I can keep adding stuff. So we have a really hard time making decisions. We want to keep our options open. Even as a culture, when you study how people uh, get married or don't get married in these days, people want to keep their options open. Common sort of folk wisdom that's out in our culture right now. See, there's focus right there. I have to focus right through that. <laughs> interruption. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. But uh, in our culture, uh, people even keep their options open. They don't get married. It's like we date for five years, we're engaged for 25 years, and then we get married and we're 80, you know, because we, now we've really exhausted all the other options. I'm teasing. I'm a, a hyperbolic, but you get it. Like we like to keep our options open. But think about marriage. It's such a severing. Like when Bethany and I got married, that excluded everyone else you know, out of the, the picture. We're watching right now uh, the show The Crown. I don't know if anybody else likes that on Netflix. Super depressing. <laughs> like, wow, these people make me feel good about my issues because they got a lot of issues. You're the queen, but you crazy, you know? It's, uh, anyways, um, we, were, we were watching the episodes about Charles and Diana. A uh, Spoiler alert, he was cheating on her all the time, you know? And uh, what a dork with the big ears. And Anyways, not because of his ears. I'm just mad at him because he makes me mad. Anyways, it's annoying. But uh, the problem in their marriage was he had this other side hustle, right? A, a side chick. That's a problem. Is that okay for me to say that? Yeah. You guys are all quiet. Okay, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> marriage is about a focus. Like when I decided to marry Bethany, I had to break three and a half billion hearts. <laughs> you know? just how it was, you know? And, you know, this is how it was. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I have to laugh at myself at that one. Focus is about eliminating things. Only a few things are actually important, but focus, when you eliminate other things, it brings freedom in your life, margin. Here's another example from our culture. We have this word priorities. I don't know if you've heard this before, but priorities is Oh, such a crazy thing to say because there is literally no such thing as priorities. The word priority came into the, the scene in the 1400s and it meant the first thing, the number one thing, okay? Then in the 1900s, we see this word crop up in our language and in our usage, priorities, which means multiple most important things. How can you have that? You, you can't have that, right? It's like saying, I have a square circle. No, you don't. It's nonsensical to the max. You can't have priorities. You can have a priority. Something is always number one. And yet, how hard is it for us to narrow down and say, this is the thing that I focus on. This is my priority. Because people say, well, what are your priorities? Well, my priorities are my relationship with God, my wife, my kids, my work. And all of a sudden, you have six plates spinning. 
And that's just the stuff you're supposed to say. If you got really into your heart, you would, there would be a lot other priorities that are there, huh? But this, you can't have that. There really is something that is number one. Now, let's make it really simple. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else, which is saying what? God's kingdom should be your number one. God's kingdom should be the foundation, the starting point, the priority, not priorities. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, in other words, in right alignment with God, and he will give you everything you need. So the promise of what Jesus provides is that if you will give God your life and make him number one, he's going to take care of everything that comes second, third, fourth, and fifth. But what we do is we go, no, I got it. I got it. No, you don't got it. It's coming crashing down, isn't it? But when we get our number one thing right, our focus right, then everything falls into place. The Apostle Paul in Philippians said, No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. In other words, there's something out there that as a, in the life of faith, as a Christian, we are pursuing that destiny. We're pursuing that thing that Christ Jesus laid hold of us to achieve. We're pursuing it. And if you will focus on God and let everything else go, you're going to get it, but you have to be focused on that. And so we need the margin of focus in our life, don't we? And the critical thing to focus on is to focus on the kingdom of God and focus on God and make God number one. Now, here's the deal. It sounds good and it sounds simple, but it's extremely hard in real life. Because if God is your priority, not a priority, not a priority or part of your priority list, no, your priority, that means he has to come first in every area of life. So it's one thing to be like, yeah, I love God, like I've given him my life, but is God first in your finances? When the rubber meets the road, when you sit down at the end of the month or the beginning or whenever you do it, or if you don't do it at all, good thing to start in January, but you sit down and you look at your money, can you say, yeah, I put him first in my finances? Or does God kind of come like seventh? <laughs> like I felt guilty and I gave in the offering that one time, you know what I mean? It's like there was a lawyer one time, he, uh, he showed up at the pearly gates and he was going to go in and St. Peter was like, hang on, bro. And the lawyer's like, whoa. And Peter's like, why should we let you in? And the lawyer said, well, uh, <laughs> for, he had a hard time remembering because the lawyer. And, uh, and so uh, I'm hopefully I'm not offending any lawyers in our church. I don't think we have any. We don't let them come here. But um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He couldn't think of anything. But then he was like, oh, I, I remember right before I got hit by the car that brought me here to stand before you, Peter, there was a homeless guy on the side of the street and I, I gave him two quarters. And St. Peter's like, well, that's good, you know. Hold on a second. He goes in, check with the boss. Peter comes back out, tosses the, uh, uh, tosses the lawyer the two, two quarters and the lawyer's like, what did he say? And he said, tell the guy, give him back his half a buck and tell him to go to... <laughs> <clears throat> Anyways, I didn't say it. Your mind produced whatever word you wanted to produce. Why did I tell that joke? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Priorities, you know. We, I don't know why I told that joke. No. Sorry, guys. I call it second service-itis, where I get on a train of thought, and it, ha it was going somewhere, but we lost the plot. You can just enjoy the joke, and we'll move on. I apologize. That's a little salty for us on a Sunday morning, but I think we'll be okay. I, I know you guys are watching worse jokes than that on TV. So focus. Is God number one in our life? Is he one in our finances? I think that's maybe what it was tying to. Is he number one in our marriage? Is he number one in our family? Is he number one in our work? Because that's what focus is about. And Jesus gave us the right focus is the kingdom of God. It's not easy at all, but it is what it, we're meant to focus on. So an action step from this, uh, let me share a quick story, and I'll, I'm going to blaze through the other two here. Have you guys ever heard of a man named Charles Schwab? You familiar with Charles Schwab investment or brokerage? Well, Charles Schwab actually lived uh, in the early 1900s, and he was one of the richest men in the world. He owned a company called Bethlehem Steel. And Charles Schwab wanted to increase the productivity of his factory. Uh, and so he put out this notice and said, anybody that can help increase productivity, I'm going to reward them handsomely. 
So a man named Ivy Lee responded to this challenge. And Ivy Lee shows up uh, at Charles Schwab's factory at Bethlehem Steel. And he said, here's, here's the advice I give you. Uh, he suggested that each task at the company be rated or ranked one to five in order of importance. And then he said, what you need to do is put 100% of your effort, energy, and focus into completing that number one task every day before you move on to the next one. And if you don't complete all five tasks, don't worry about it. Anything that you get done above the first one is just bonus, right? Just the cherry on top. So Charles Schwab decides, well, what do I have to lose? We're going to try this. So they implement this at the factory. Fast forward three weeks and Charles Schwab sends Ivy Lee a check for $25,000, which in that day's money represented to today, it'd be like him sending this guy a check for $300,000 today in our money. The check arrived with a note from Charles telling Ivy that his recommendation was one of the most valuable pieces of business advice he ever received. And within five years, Bethlehem Steel became the single biggest producer of steel in the world, and it made Schwab one of the wealthiest people to ever live. So what's the tip that comes out of this? It's all about focus, right? Every evening before finishing work, write down three to five things to get done the next day, ranked from highest to lowest priority. First thing in the morning, start work on the task of highest priority. Only move on to task number two when you fully completed task number one and repeat. Very simple. Now, here's where I want to apply this spiritually. If God is supposed to be number one, okay, which I affirm and 100% I'm preaching today, right? Put God first. He's number one in our life, should be. What would it look like in 2021 if instead of anything else you did that you gave the first 15, 20, 30 minutes to study the Bible, to pray, to worship, to get into the presence of God, to connect with him, right? Unless you're just way too overloaded with God in your life, you know what I mean? You're just, man, you need to back it off, right? Way too, way too holy, way too righteous, way too uh, gracious. You know, you're too nice to people, too much love coming out of your life, too generous, right? But what if we just took that first time and said, God, I'm gonna give you the first part, the first most important time, and I put you number one in my life. And then have that list and do those things. That's what focus looks like. You can put that into play. The second margin that we need to create is the margin of time. Now, it's interesting because in our culture, we wear busyness like a badge of honor, right? Do you have anybody that you know in your life, and every time you say, how's it going? They're like, oh, I'm so busy, right? I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. Okay. <laughs> I had a friend uh, that I was talking to one time. This is about five or 10 years ago. Every time I would talk to him, hey, how's it going? Oh, man, I'm doing good, but I am so busy. And it hit me in that moment, and I, say, I said the same thing oftentimes, it hit me in that moment, being busy doesn't mean you're good at life, it means you're bad at it, right? It means you've mismanaged, it means you're, you have way too many plates. Now, there's, a di there's differences in busyness, right? You know, being at home, my wife and, and, and I with the kids and homeschooling and all that, there's busyness, okay? If you have kids, everybody has a busyness of life. I'm not talking just about that, but when you've so overmanaged, so overmaxed everything in your life that you're wearing busyness like a badge of honor, as if that makes you like, better, it, that's, that's not better, it's worse. You need some margin, right? It makes, that means you're bad at life. Now, it's been scientifically proven that we actually underestimate the, t the time things actually take. Bethany and I, we always were rushed when we had Wednesday mornings back in the past was this morning we had to get the kids to the daycare and then get to work and all this stuff and we would always be like pressed and we realized one day that we think it takes 30 minutes but it actually takes an hour or it takes 45 minutes. So here's a rule of thumb to help you with your margin of time. Because time is something that needs a margin. Is just do this. Use the 50% rule. And what this means is whatever you think it takes to accomplish whatever task or thing that you need to do, the amount of time, add 50% to it. So if you think it takes 10 minutes, give yourself 15 minutes. If you think it takes an hour, give yourself 90 minutes, right? Give yourself an hour and a half. Add 50% and give yourself some margin in your time. Now, obviously, this is a relative principle. Like I was talking to a guy in our church that works for LTD, and he's like, well, if we added 50% to every bus schedule, it would be a $24 million loss for LTD. I was like, okay, hold on a second. <laughs> bus drivers and, and airplane you know, pilots, you guys, you, you need to be better and, and balanced. But for the rest of us, uh, think about giving yourself that margin of time. And this allows you to decompress 
always being in a hurry and not being able to give your, your, your all to the thing that you're supposed to be focusing on. So give yourself some margin of time. Now, what if you're always finishing everything and you have all this open time? Welcome to enjoying your life. I was laying down one time outside. I was looking at the sky and the clouds are going by. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm, exp- I'm, I'm living the most affluent life I could ever live because I am basically extravagantly wasting or spending the most precious commodity in the world, which is time. The only thing that never, you can never get more of, right? You, everyone has the exact same amount and you're always spending it at a steady rate and, and always having less, not to make you feel like your impending demise is on its way with time or whatever, but when you have open time, you can enjoy the life that God gave you to live. You can pray. You can call somebody on the phone and encourage them. You can stop and take a moment to examine the condition of your heart. So adding the margin of time is critical. And then number three, and I, I'm sorry, I didn't give myself much margin on this message, so <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. The margin of rest, margin of rest. Rest is so important. Do you know that God instituted rest and he blessed rest? In Genesis 2, it says, On the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Rest was given to us as a principle by God. God didn't rest because he was tired or burned out. God doesn't get tired or burned out. He rested because he wanted to bless us with the principle of rest and he blessed rest. We talk about the Sabbath. We don't keep that as a religious legalistic principle, but the Sabbath is a blessing from God to man And when I say Sabbath, that's a very religious sounding word. It just means taking some time, one day a week, where you don't engage in activity and work and being productive and bettering yourself in the world and you just let God be God and let him handle it, right? And you rest, reconnect with God, reconnect with your family, reconnect with your own soul. Rest is intentional inactivity. Listen to the word choice here. I'm inactive, but I'm not being lazy and I'm not being unproductive. I'm inactive on purpose and for a purpose because I'm recharging and reconnecting for the meaningful work that God has called me to do. Rest is such a beautiful spiritual principle because when you think about it, rest requires two things, deep humility and deep trust. Humility to recognize you are limited, you're not God, and you actually do get burned out. You do get out of balance. You do get, try to get better, but you don't always make it. You, you, you don't have the ability to carry the world on your shoulders because you're not Atlas. Come on. You, you, you don't have that capacity. You're not God. And so to rest is to say, I'm not God. I need rest. I have to have that humility and then trust that God's got this, that while I'm not on call, while I'm not engaged, while I'm not being better or getting things in balance, while I'm actually resting and recharging, God is still in control and on the throne and he's got this. Rest is the antidote to stress. Here's what we think. We think, oh, I'm stressed. So what I need to do is I need to work. I'm stressed, so I need to fix this. My marriage is in trouble, so I need to read seven books and I need to go to seven marriage conferences. And then I need to blow a shofar because I read it online somewhere that a shofar can save my marriage. Put the shofar down. It's never a good idea to blow a shofar that I can ever think of. You need to do, not do more. You need to rest in the finished work of Christ. Work is not going to solve your stress or rest issues. Rest is what is the antidote to stress. So here's an action step. What if we scheduled rest as a priority, right? What if it was something we actually put into our schedule the same way we schedule work and schedule tasks? What if we said rest is important and therefore I'm actually gonna put it into the playbook of my week. I'm gonna actually set aside some time to be still and know that he's God. I'm gonna set aside some time to allow my soul to decompress. You know, it's interesting, but as a, as a man, uh, I'm, I'm not uh, blowing anybody's mind by making that confession, but anyways, as, as a man, uh, and I think a lot of men struggle with this, we oftentimes don't feel our feelings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we, we're, we're always so, and ladies do the same thing, but I just, I'm not a lady, so I can't, I have to come, come at it from my perspective. But oftentimes when things slow down, I'll go, man, I feel kind of funky. <laughs> like I feel sad. 
what's that? What's this wetness coming out of my face? Something's broken, you know? But what all that's happening is when you slow down and give yourself margin and you actually rest, you can begin to feel, man, I, I think I'm a little disconnected from God. I think I've been pressing and trying to solve my issues with sin by getting better and getting things in balance. I think I've been trying to deal with all my, my relational stress. I think I've been carrying guilt for how I've been parenting and I, I'm, I'm carrying all these things and I'm feeling what's happening in my soul and what's happening in my body, what's happening in my mind. But it takes that margin to actually feel that. And when you feel it, guess what? It's so easy to say, Lord, you told me to cast my cares upon you for you care about me. What Jesus said is this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Do you know the Greek? If you really understand the Greek of this, like when you really get into the etymology and the language, here's what it means. That if you are weary and you carry heavy burdens, Jesus will give you rest. That's what it means. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to understand this. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that awesome? And you know what he doesn't say? If you make sure and check these boxes and read this and do this in this order and light this candle and do this dance, he doesn't say that. He just says, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. It all comes back to God, I put you first. I put you, I give you everything. I come to you and I create margin and space in my life to have a relationship with you so I can actually give you my burdens and let you be God and let me live a life of worship and be fulfilled by what you are doing in my life. The gospel does not add burdens to your life. The gospel lifts burdens from your life. One of the biggest lies that Christians and non-Christians alike believe in our culture is that becoming a Christian is God adding something on top of your already overloaded, burdened life that you have to carry. And it's the exact opposite. The gospel is the most beautiful message of lifting your heavy burdens of sin, shame, overwork, overwhelm, that you'll never be balanced or better enough. I know that's not good grammar, but we're going to work with it today. You'll never be good enough to to get it all done and say, you know what, God, I'm going to let my soul breathe and know you and let you do what only you can do. This is the promise of Jesus. And this is what margin makes possible. Now, I know I'm over time, but I want to say one more thing today. Famous last words from a pastor. But I'm not preaching this message or sharing these principles so we can just go be happier and live our best life now. I'm not, that's not why. When we make space in our life and we get some of this overwhelm and this burden off, that space, yes, it allows you to be a healthier person, absolutely have a healthier marriage, healthier family, healthier emotional life, healthier spiritual life, absolutely. But the, the, here's what it really does, and this is the strategy of this. When we make space in our life, God can use our lives because there's now room in our life. He can use our life to be a blessing to others. So as Christians, we're called to go into all the world and make disciples. I shared this vision with you guys on the the 31st or the the, the last Sunday of the year. I don't think it was the 31st, but whatever Sunday that was last week. But I believe in 2021, God would like to see and God wants to use our church that that more people would be saved, more people would give their lives to Jesus in 2021 than in all the other years of our church combined. From 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, I believe in 2021, God wants to bring a harvest of people saved in and through our church. And so there needs to be space in us to go and make that happen, right? To, not to go and work it into existence, but to say, God, I'm okay. Like I have margin in my life. You can use me. You can use my time. You can use my energy. I have energy spiritually, emotionally. I have time to pray. I have time to enjoy you, God. I have some extra, some abundance of joy that my joy is full and it's overflowing and I can share joy with my city. I can share joy with my neighbors. I can share joy with my workplace. I'm not always so stressed and maxed right to the very limit that I can't be who you've called me to be. And I believe God wants to do some incredible things in our church this year. 
One of the visions that God's placed in my heart is that we would see 300 leaders of 10 people each raised up in our church over the next few years, that we would make a massive impact in our community of discipleship. Did you know that I don't make disciples as a pastor? The biblical pattern is very clear. The pastors, the prophets, apostles, evangelists, teachers, they, they are called to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I make disciples as a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus. The mission of God is not the mission for pastors. It's the mission for the church. It's the mission for all of us. But guess what, guys? We can't do it if we're so overburdened and overwhelmed and spinning plates. And that is what, where we find ourselves as a culture. And that's why I'm preaching this message today about margin. Because it's for you, it's for me, it's for us to have a better life. Yes, but it's so God can work in us to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in our community. Amen? Amen. Let's pray today. Let's lift up your hands. Father, right now, we just bring our burdens, our cares. Lord, our heavy burdens, we bring them to you. God, I even pray that we just kind of breathe out 2020 and all the stress and pressure and things that happened in that year. And we would just say, this is a new year. It's a new season, a new time. Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to let you do what only you can do. God, I pray right now that burdens will begin to be lifted off of our hearts, off of our souls, off of our minds, God. Lord, burdens of sin, burdens of shame, burdens of, of overwork, burdens of, of trying to be better and trying to be in balance. Lord, burdens of trying to make our families perfect, burdens of trying to appear a certain way, bur burdens and things that weigh us down. Lord, you ask for them. You care for our souls. You care for the birds of the air. You care for the lilies of the field. How much more do you care about your sons and daughters? And today we recognize that. We respond in humility, in faith, in trust. You are God. We are not. We come before you in humility. We lay our burdens down. We take your yoke upon us that is easy, your burden that is light. We receive you today, God, and all you want to do in Jesus' name. Real quick, just keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. This morning, anyone online that's joining us or watching on replay, anybody here in the room, I want to give you an opportunity to place your faith in Christ. Every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. The scriptures say we've sinned, we've done the wrong thing, we've hurt ourselves, hurt God, hurt other people. But Jesus gave his life at the cross as a payment for our sins so we could be made right with God. And so if you're here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus, would you just raise your hand so I can see? Anybody here in this place? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. And if you're online, don't feel geeky, don't feel nerdy, but raise your hand. You know, I can't see you through the camera here, but I believe that you're watching and I believe the Lord is speaking to you and working in your heart and this is a great time even if you're watching this on replay you can put your faith in Jesus and for all of us let's pray this prayer together and put our faith in Christ and we'll give you some next steps dear Jesus I confess my sin to you I know that I have not lived up to your standard but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life and I receive you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.